the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez in the book of Luke. Luke wrote his gospel to show us that we have a reliable faith. He told Theophilus, the person he was writing to, I'm writing this so that you might know the certainty of those things wherein you have been instructed. Thus far, we have covered the births of John the Baptist and of Jesus, and both were surrounded by miraculous events, and both created quite a stir among the nearby peoples. They're wondering, what's going on? Has God really sent the Messiah? Is our suffering truly over? Well, while all that is going on, there was one person who wasn't talking, Mary. Chapter 2, verse 19, it says, But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. See, she knew her job wasn't to be the promotional manager for her baby. Her job was to be a godly mom. And that meant doing things God's way. And so as we begin here in chapter 2 today, we're going to see they're going to fulfill what the law had to say that they needed to do with a child. And so as we observe this young couple's obedience and God's continuing encouragement to them, pointing out that Jesus is not just any other boy, he is the Messiah, may it stir us to embrace the tasks that God has set before us. that We might tackle them with equal obedience like they did. So chapter two, we begin in verse 21. And when eight days were accomplished for the circumcising of the child, his name was called Jesus, which was so named of the angel before he was conceived in the womb. This was both the day of circumcision and the naming day of the child in Jewish culture. It's still done this way among Jews today. When they would circumcise him, it would usually be a big celebration and they would announce his name at that point in time. This rite was performed by the elders and rabbis at Bethlehem and most likely a more private family ceremony since Joseph and Mary had to leave their hometown of Nazareth to come here. Having it done here, there may not have been a lot of people present. But they name him Jesus as the angel had called him because he will save his people from his sins. That's what Jesus means. It's a very common Jewish name, Joshua or Yahshua, which means the Lord is salvation. So he was named on this day, given the name that we know him most by, that he's our savior. And now we get to verse 22. We see that while they're there in in Bethlehem, they don't return home to Nazareth yet, but they tarry there in Bethlehem because in 40 days, Mary has to be purified and Jesus has to be presented. For it says in verse 22, and when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses were accomplished, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to that which is said of the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Here we see Jesus's presentation before the Lord, but it comes with another ritual as well, which is 
Mary's cleansing. According to Leviticus chapter 12, verses 1 through 8, to re-enter the worship community, you had to be purified if you had a discharge of fluid. During birth, if you didn't know this, ladies, there's a discharge of fluid. And if you're young here and you didn't know that, I apologize. That is what happens. And so anytime there something like that occurred, you had to go through a ritual purification process. The one for birth, if you had a boy, was 40 days. If you had a girl, I think it was 60 days, might have been 80 days. I'm sorry, ladies, it just, you weren't as a big a deal as a boy back then, so they just looked at it a little bit differently. She has to enter into that period before she can enter the worship community again. She's ritually unclean. So they tarry there in Nazareth, and when the days of her purification, when those 40 days go by, according to the law of Moses, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. They would do those things together. Now, the presentation is different. The presentation was when a child was redeemed from God, and you would pay five shekels to the priest to do so. But that would only be for the firstborn, the firstborn male. Gals didn't have to be redeemed. In Exodus 13, verse 2, which is what is quoted here, here in verse 23, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every male that opens a womb shall be called holy to the Lord. In other words, the Lord said, every one of your firstborn, animal or person, belongs to me, and therefore would be for his service. Instead of taking the firstborn to serve him, he took the Levites, but you still had to redeem your firstborn, and that cost you five shekels. So they coupled those two events together. When mom would come to give her offering for her purification. At the same time, you'd bring your five shekels and you would be able to take baby boy home. That's what's going on here for Mary and Joseph when they come to Jerusalem. An interesting thing here, it mentions that they brought a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons, but Leviticus states that they were to offer those birds with a lamb, except in one circumstance. That's if you were too poor to bring the lamb. This shows us that Jesus did not come from a wealthy family. And that means if you're struggling to make ends meet right now, Jesus knows exactly what that feels like. He knows exactly what it's like to grow up in a family that lives from paycheck to paycheck that doesn't have a lot of extra sitting around. If you're struggling to make ends meet, you can know that just as God took care of this family, that he'll take care of you. Your job is to be obedient like they were. While they're in Jerusalem for these two rituals to be performed, two events occur to confirm Jesus' uniqueness. Verse 25 is the first. It says, and behold, in other words, something special happened. While they're there in Jerusalem, it says there was also a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Ghost was upon him. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So we're introduced to this guy, Simeon, and a few unique things about him. The first unique thing about him, it mentions, is that he was a godly man. It says he was just and devout. The word there for just, it refers to someone's practical righteousness. This was a guy who lived his life in accordance with God's law, God's outer requirements. He was a man that followed the rules. But secondly, it mentions he was devout. He means he was a God-fearing man. He was a reverent man. And this refers to someone who's not just their outer life matches God's requirements, but their inner life matches God's heart as well. He had both those things in his life. It's funny because often we make the mistake of emphasizing one of those over the other. You'll have one group that will emphasize all the do, 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 this is what you have to do, tend to usually call that legalism. And then you have another group that doesn't want to know about anything they have to do. You just got to love Jesus. And we tend to call, my pastor used to call that sloppy agape. And the idea of just easy believism, that it didn't translate to any change in life. Is God solely after us keeping the rules? Not at all. But we should be obeying his laws. We should be keeping his commandments. Can a person 
person be true when they say they love God with all their heart, but they ignore his commands? No way. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. If we don't do that, how can you say you love me if you don't do the things that I say? If someone comes to me and says, I love Jesus all my heart, but they won't do what he says, I'm going to call him a liar. The Bible says that. It says, if you say you love God, but you don't keep his commandments, you're a liar and the truth is not in you. Obedience is important as well. God wants our heart and he wants our behavior. He wants both of them, preferably with our behavior stemming from a heart that loves him. What's this godly guy doing in Jerusalem? Well, it tells us he's waiting for the consolation of Israel. In Isaiah chapter 40, which begins that big section where Jesus himself is speaking through the prophet Isaiah, it starts off with the phrase, comfort ye, comfort ye, my people. Because of that, a common phrase to refer to the coming of the Messiah was the comfort or the consolation. So this guy, he's in Jerusalem and he's waiting for the consolation of Israel. He's waiting for the Messiah. That phrase waiting there, it means to remain in a place because you expect something to happen. Simeon's not just twiddling his thumbs in the temple, okay? And God didn't want anyone twiddling their thumbs until the Messiah came any more than he wants us to just hunker down until Jesus comes back again. Jesus commanded us to occupy until he returned. But Simeon's not being lazy by being here waiting. He was led to do this by the Spirit of God because the Spirit of God told him something a long time ago. And it's here in verse 26. For it says, It was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. I don't know if a prophet came to him. I don't know if just the Lord spoke to his heart. We don't know what method of delivery it was. But at some point in this guy's life, the Lord said to him, you're not gonna die until you see my Messiah. That's what the word Christ means. You know, sometimes we think of Jesus and Christ. Jesus is his first name. Christ is his last name. Jesus is his first name, but Christ is his mission. He's the Messiah. The word Christos, it means the anointed one. And it's just the New Testament word equivalent, because it's Greek, of the Old Testament word for Messiah or Mashiach. They both mean the same thing. This guy had God had told him, you're not going to die until you see my Messiah. Now, by this point, Simeon is a very old man. And what I love about him, though, is he's never let go of this promise. He's never let go. He knew that God would be faithful, even though he's coming to the end. And he clung to it. He clung to it. And here in his old age, the Spirit sends him to Jerusalem because the time is close. And I would ask you this morning, are there promises that God's made to you that you've forgotten? Or maybe that you've given up on because it's a long time in coming? Don't, because you don't know the Lord's timing. Trust him. He's faithful. He keeps his word. Now on this day, the spirit tells him to go to the temple. We see in verse 27. And he came by the spirit into the temple. Why? Because his faithful waiting will finally be rewarded. He's going to see the Messiah. And so as the spirit's leading him to the temple, the parents, it says they're bringing in Jesus. The spirit led him to the temple. And while he's there, his parents, Joseph and Mary, they brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law. They're going to do this thing that to pay the five shekels. And when Simeon sees him, he knows. And says in verse 28, then he took him up in his arms and he blessed God and said, Lord, now let thou thy servant Depart in peace according to thy word, for mine eyes have seen your salvation. He sees Jesus and he takes him up in his arms and he just can't contain himself. He just begins to magnify the Lord because God kept his promise. It's fascinating because he doesn't even know Jesus' name and yet he names him here for he says, let now your servant depart in peace according to your word for mine eyes have seen thy salvation, thy Yeshua. Mine eyes have seen your Jesus. Mine eyes have seen your Messiah, your salvation, the one who is called 
Jesus. God kept his promise to Simeon. And yet Simeon doesn't stop there. He recognizes that while the coming of the Messiah is a huge personal blessing, it's not just for him. Look what he says in verses 31 and 32. He says, which, this salvation is not just for me, but which you have prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. You have prepared him before the face of all people. Literally means all the peoples. So not just Israel, but the whole world. Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. God had promised Abraham that through his seed, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And that was a direct prophecy of Jesus. And Simeon's recognizing that here. He would be a light to lighten the Gentiles. The word to lighten is the word apocalypsis. We think of apocalypsis like if you were living in Hawaii yesterday and you got that false alarm. That's the apocalypse, right? But that's not the way this word is used in the scripture. Apocalypsis just means something that gets unveiled. It's like got a big statue, but it's covered with a curtain and you pull it off and everybody claps and everything. It's an unveiling. See, that's what Jesus is going to do for the Gentiles. He'll be a light to reveal, make fully known the truth to them. See, up to this point, the Gentiles didn't have God's law and Israel neglected their responsibility to spread it. But Jesus would fix all that. In Isaiah 49, verse six, God speaking of his son, he says that he'll be a light to the Gentiles. He'll be a banner that they can run to and be saved. Most of us today, I dare say, that's a fulfillment for us because most of us here are probably not Jewish. Most of us are probably dirty Gentiles. So, But also he would be the glory of your people, Israel the splendor and majesty of the people of Israel. After being trod down by empire after empire, Jesus would make God's people beautiful again. He'd restore them to the truth. What's beautiful about this is it shows that Simeon was a man who knew the scriptures, which is, by the way, why he could hear the Spirit's voice so well. But we read about people like this in the Word. It says and they were led by the Spirit to go here, led by the Spirit to go there. And I think, man, that's what I want my life to be like. Like, I want to be able to hear his voice clearly and follow his lead daily. But you know that God wants to do that for all of us? Look at Psalm 32 with me. Psalm 32, David's penitential psalm where he is repenting to the Lord and thanking him for his forgiveness after his sin with Bathsheba. Verse 8, the Lord responds to that prayer and tells David what he wants to do for him. The Lord says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way which you should go. I will guide you with mine eye. That's how the Lord wants to be with us. The Lord doesn't want to have to kind of come by and step on our foot and be like, it's time to go. Sometimes we get the kids and we're going somewhere nice and you give them the decorum. This is how it's going to be. This is how you're going to behave. And you do it all ahead of time because you don't want there to be a scene when you get there, right? But inevitably, something happens and you start off kind of like this. You're like, and you try to do it real quietly. The idea of, I shouldn't have to grab you, hold you up and go, what are you doing? And the Lord doesn't want to do that with us either. He doesn't want to have to scream at us. He wants to just glance away and we go, oh Lord, that's where your heart's at. That's what you're desiring us to do. And we follow his lead. How do we do that? Verse nine, he says, do not be as the horse or as the mule, which have no understanding, whose mouth must be held in with a bit and a bridle, lest they come near unto you. A horse has to be steered and pulled sometimes, sometimes dragged, especially if it's a mule and it's being really stubborn. God doesn't want us to be like that. The Lord wants us to hear his voice and then follow wherever it is that he's taking us. He doesn't want us to be coming where he's like, hey, Will, I've got this thing over here where I want you to minister to somebody. And you're going, that's great, Lord. That's wonderful. These flowers are pretty over here, though. He wants us to take heed to his voice and follow wherever he leads us. You might be saying, well, Pastor Will, how can I be stubborn about something I don't hear very well at all yet, though? Because I get asked by people all the time, how do I hear God's voice? How do I know God's voice? Well, I would ask you, how are you responding to what God clearly says in his word already? That's how you learn to hear someone's voice. 
Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. And another shepherd's voice, they will not hear. They won't listen to. If he says to come over here, they won't follow because they hear my voice. If you want to learn to hear the Holy Spirit's voice better, you first must get to know him in the ways he's already clearly revealed himself. Because if you ignore that or refuse to listen to that, then expect to not hear his voice very well when you need guidance in the other issues of life. I know that if I'm working on the car, because I'm not, I'm not super handy, and I'm having some difficulty, and I hear a voice in the back of my head saying, yeah, stupid, I don't even know why you tried this, I know that's not Jesus, because I know he doesn't talk like that. I know that's not his heart towards me. And that's not what I hear when I read this here. Now, on the other hand, if I hear his voice saying, hey, how about you spend some time praying about this? Or, hey, how about you take a break? You're getting frustrated. Or, hey, maybe it might be time to call the repair man instead of being prideful right now and stubborn. Then I know that's the Lord's voice because he's not condemning. He's not unkind. We need to learn to hear his voice from getting to know who he is and what he's like. And I promise you this, as you get to know him better through this, you'll begin to hear his voice better in the things that aren't necessarily in here. While he's waiting at the temple, here, of course, up walks Mary and Joseph, and he gets overwhelmed, and he praises the Lord. And, of course, as all this is going on, Mary and Joseph are thinking they're just going to the temple, and they're just kind of, wow, this is incredible. Look at all the things God's doing. But while Joseph and Mary are marveling at those things which were spoken of him, Simeon now turns to them because he knows they've got a hard job. He knows that this is not going to be easy to raise the Messiah. And in particular, Simeon has a special word for Mary to prepare her for the task. And so in verse 34, it says, and Simeon blessed them. He blessed Joseph and Mary. And then he says unto Mary, his mother, behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel and for a sign which shall be spoken against. Yea, a sword shall pierce through your own soul also that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. He says, this boy was sent into the world. That's what it means is sent. He exists. He has come into the world for the fall and the rising again of many in Israel. The word there for fall means destruction or the worsening. Rising again means resurrection. While Jesus came to raise Israel up, some won't like his plan. Some will reject him as the Messiah, and this will result in their own destruction. In this, we get the first hint that not everyone will be as excited as Simeon and the other people we've seen so far that Jesus has come. Not everyone will be excited that Jesus has come. And for Mary, that's important because every mama wants people to love their babies. Every mama wants people to love their children, to see how awesome they are, to see them as they see them. And Mary needs to know that not everyone will see Jesus that way. Secondly, he tells her that this child, he's come into the world for a sign or a miracle which shall be spoken against. He's come in as a miracle from God, but he will be opposed. Mary needs to know that Jesus will have enemies. She can't go blabbing about his destiny to everybody. Oh, my son's the Messiah. What did your son do today? Oh, he just started to walk. Oh, my son's going to save the world. She can't go doing that. We're going to see the danger they face because in Matthew chapter 2, before Jesus is two years old, Herod commands every child in that region, two and under, to be killed because he's heard about some king of the Jews that's been born and he fears for anyone who might challenge his throne. And thirdly, Mary also needs to know that she won't be able to protect Jesus from harm forever. How mankind treats him will eventually break her heart. For it says, Yea, a sword shall pierce through your own soul also. That doesn't mean that Mary is co-redemptress in the cross. It doesn't mean she suffered or atoned for things as Jesus was dying on the cross. Jesus was there on the cross and the only one there for him was his mother and John. You can know all sorts of things. It still would break your heart. She changed his diaper. She fed him. She raised him. She cleaned his skin knees. 
And now she's watching him die. She needed to know that she couldn't protect him forever. In this prophecy, we get the first hint of the cross, that Jesus' life is not going to culminate in a throne room on earth. And these were heavy words to speak to a new mother, but ones Mary needed to hear if she was to be the mom that God wanted her to be. Now, why doesn't he have anything like that to say to Joseph? Well, because Joseph won't be around for many of these things. He's going to die before Jesus' earthly ministry begins. He's going to die probably when Jesus is relatively young. Because when we see Jesus as a grown man, we're going to see him as the one who's in charge of the family. When he's there on the cross, one of the last things Jesus does is he says to his mother, he says, Mother, behold your son. Turns to John, the beloved, behold your son. Turns to John and says, John, behold your mother. He gives him the responsibility of taking care of his mother because he knew his brothers weren't ready yet. They couldn't take care of the family yet. It's very likely Jesus had been doing that for quite a while. Joseph dies before any of these things really happen, so the words are not necessarily meant for him. Now, you might be thinking, man, why is Jesus sent to destroy, though? Why not just resurrect? Well, because most in Israel think they're just fine with God the way they are. They think the Messiah is coming mainly to get rid of the enemies without. But they've forgotten that the Messiah was coming to rescue from our sin, from the enemy within. And is it much different today? Most people think they're good people. But Jesus comes and he upsets that apple cart, doesn't he? He comes up, he says, there's none righteous, no, not one. His teachings declare everything isn't okay. And the problem isn't everyone else. It's me, it's you. Jesus makes you face that reality. You aren't good. You're part of the problem. His whole Sermon on the Mount, this great sermon, we talk about the principles of the kingdom. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are they who hunger and thirst for righteousness. All those things, you be a light to the world. He spends the rest of the the sermon there in chapter 5 talking about how you have heard it said that this is the standard, and then he raises the standard. He says, that's not the standard. The standard from the beginning was this. You have heard it said, don't commit adultery. But I say unto you, whosoever looks upon a woman or a man with lust in his heart has already committed adultery in his heart. And he goes on with every one of those commandments that he shows what the real bar is. And if any of us still think we can handle it, at the end, he says, be therefore perfect as your father in heaven is perfect. So we can all just throw our cards up in the air and go, we lose. But see, that's the goal. The goal is if we recognize, we lose. We can finally win. If we recognize, I can't do this. I'm not righteous. You know, the the problem isn't everybody else. The problem's me. The problem's the enemy within. And when we come to that place of recognition and we say, Lord, help me, save me, he does. He gloriously saves us. He washes us clean, gives us a new heart. And he lives inside of us and he begins to overcome that enemy within and drive him out and our lives can reflect Christ. That's what it's about, you know? There's an old song from the 90s by a band called The Waiting. It's about a guy who's wrestling with God, fighting with God all the time. And I love the song because eventually he gets, the song says he goes out into the backyard, he carves out a big, huge grave for himself, and then he just falls in. And I love it at the end because he triumphantly says, and now I finally learned that losers win and every dying man can be born again. If you don't know you're dying, you can't be born again. But if you know your need, you can be saved. All this is going on with Simeon. The day gets even more interesting because somebody else is watching and she has something to say too. Verse 36. And there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. And she was of a great age. 
She had lived with her husband of seven years from her virginity, and she was a widow of about fourscore and four years, that's 84 years, which did not depart from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And she coming in that instant, she gave thanks likewise unto the Lord and spake of him to all that looked for redemption in Israel. So this other gal comes up and she is definitely of great age. She's at least 105 years old, according to this. For it says she was only married for seven years before her husband died and she had been widowed for 84 years. Now, what's she doing in the temple? Well, when her husband died, she dedicated the rest of her life to fasting and praying and serving God's people there. So she's there and she probably knew Simeon since he lived in Jerusalem, knew he was a godly man. But she sees him doing his thing and she just comes busting up. It says in that instant, she came in that instant and it says that she gave thanks likewise unto the Lord. So it pretty much says the same exact thing that Simeon said. She goes, Lord, I can die in peace now because I've been waiting for the Messiah and now he's here. Now he's here. And yet the Lord's not taking her home yet for it says that when this event's over, she spoke about Jesus to all them that looked for redemption in Israel. While Mary couldn't blab the news, Anna could because she was selective, only sharing it with others who'd been faithfully waiting for the Messiah to come. It wasn't a surprise that Jesus came in this time. Daniel chapter nine, God gave a prophecy to Daniel as he's praying and seeking God, going, God, our 70 years in Babylon is up where we've sinned, but will you please bring us back home? And he's praying and going, God, what are you gonna do? How are we gonna get back to the land? And are we gonna be in Babylon forever? I know that's not what you promised. And the Lord sends an angel to give him a prophecy that would be a time timetable for Israel. And that timetable, it didn't just bring Israel back into the land, rebuild their city, rebuild their wall, but it prophesied of the day that the Messiah would come into Jerusalem and be proclaimed as king. Good Jews who knew the scriptures understood that prophecy. That's why when Jesus said to his disciples, he said, listen, you know, go get me a donkey from this guy over here. They went up and took the donkey and the guy's like, hey, where are you going with my car, man? He didn't say that because he knew the scriptures. I don't care that they said, well, the master has need of it. If somebody comes up and say, you know, and they're trying to take my car and I say, what are you doing? And they say, Jesus has need of it. I'll be like, he could have told me. But they knew the prophecy. They knew the scriptures. And so they knew that their king would come riding unto them on a donkey on this day. They knew that this was the timing. There were those that were not surprised by the coming of the Messiah. And that's the people that Anna is talking to here telling those who are waiting for that redemption, knowing it was soon. And she tells the word, he's come, he is here. His name is Jesus. Most in Israel though, totally miss the coming of their Messiah. And you know what? God calls us to be like this group, not like that group. (laughs) Not the ones who miss Jesus when he comes back. God calls us to wait with expectancy for Jesus to return as well. And people say, oh, that's, you know, just a bunch of Christians with their heads in the clouds. No, that's Christians who understand grace. For in Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 13, it says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. And this is what it teaches us. It teaches us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Duh, right? You know, that the grace of God teaches us to live for Jesus all in while we're here. But it also teaches us this looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app. 
available on iTunes and Google Play. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word.